welcome. This is me, and that's him. Wow. We sure are. <laughs> Great. Well, per usual, we have these two awkward folks not knowing how to open this thing. But welcome. Episode 24. Wow. We have been at this for a while. How long is 24 weeks? A bit. Six months? Right? Yeah. Give yeah, or take. Ish. Yeah. Wow. That's a long time. Pretty good. Yeah. You ever just think about that and you're like, wow, there's six months of my life I'll never get back. Not the podcast, but just time in general. Yeah. COVID time. Basically. Yeah. 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 That's fine. Makes me uncomfortable. Great. But so do many things. True. Great. Well, yeah. So uh, if you listened last week, you would have heard Justin say that this is going to be our last episode for just a just a little bit mm-hmm. just a, a titty bit uh we're getting we're getting hitched or getting getting together yeah i'm gonna Great. keep on this uh yep so jesse and i are doing the thing next week and uh just gonna take a little, little break so we can come on back and do this again in the yeah. fall which is the spookiest time of them all exactly so looking forward to that yeah yeah we're gonna we're gonna let you guys run off with the big bang on this one so i'm pretty excited about this episode yes for this big bang hannah has a really uh short trashy story and justin has a long elegant story i have no clue what you have you just told me it's extravagant yeah same i don't know what it is either so oh you don't know yeah you just went on to one, Wikip- one Wikipedia page and just copied and pasted the entire thing. I was like, well, good luck. Yeah. Nice. Pretty much. Looking forward to it. Right. All right. All right. So yet again, we're spicing things up because Justin has a longer story. I'm going to go first. And my story is hopefully not going to be super long. Um, but let's go ahead. I have my fresco ready. Let's, let's go. Great. Great. So today... I'll be talking about how children are the actual worst and the creepiest things on this planet. Fine. Yep. So I'm sure that many people have their own stories of kiddos being creepy, whether it be yourself personally or a sibling, kiddo you babysat, or just some like random person who just gave you like the Damien eyes. Mm. I'm sure a lot of people have those kind of stories. Mm -hmm. Um, I personally have some some creepy stories that I would really like to share in the future, but I don't remember them. So I'd like to have like my mom. You got to tap into that. Exactly. I guess I used to yeah. talk about a dead guy when I was a kid, but again, we got we got to ask Rhonda. Sure, she'll know. I have some stories about kids that um were afraid of me, uh, and they would cry in my presence. I mean, same. Yeah. Yeah. I just feel like you have one of those. It's not your fault. You're just so tall. And, yeah you know. like i remember i was at like a birthday party of like a family birthday party one time and i was just sitting at the table like eating and talking to my family and like this little baby girl walked up to me and she just started crying and i was like <laughs> that's just rude like i didn't ask for this i did nothing wrong yeah i just said hi and she started crying <laughs> it's like, just oh. your it's just your face dude people are afraid of me yeah as well they should be oh uh. <laughs> our cats are afraid of you too but that's because i just let them get away with anything and you you lay down the law they listen to you they respect you yeah 
I would. I Mo- honestly think that if our cats could just rebel against us, they would purposely go to my side of the bed and poop and just leave yours completely alone. Probably. Yeah. They would stage a coup against you. Exactly. Even though I'm the nice one. Because I lead with an iron fist. Exactly. They'd be like, oh, no, that's daddy's side. <laughs> We're leaving that alone. Just shit in Hannah's side. Great. <laughs> anyway well i'm not talking about kittens today i'm talking about kids being the actual worst so uh this is i feel like this is kind of like a common thing that people have talked about especially in the last couple of decades but Mm -hmm. kiddos and animals are usually often more seen as being like susceptible to uh the paranormal realm okay um and so this might have something to do may or may not with kiddos like talking to themselves a lot when they're really small I talked to myself Did you? all the time when I was a kid, but I was also an only child. Well, yeah. and it was when I was playing with Star Wars figures. So, Aww. okay, but like, did you did you have an imaginary friend, or did you like? Can you remember having those differences between? Oh, this is playtime. I think my mom could actually attest to this. I had imaginary friends who were real friends of mine, so I would pretend to play with friends that weren't there currently, but I could see them at some point if i wanted to so they were real people yes but i imagined playing with them when i couldn't see them that's really sad and sweet at the same time oh (laughs) great oh okay sweetie (laughs) no it's fine it's normal because fine according to psychology today and many psychologists i'm sorry if that was like a really spitty uh, swallow great great i just have a lot of saliva mm-hmm. uh children talking to themselves is a normal phenomenon referred to as crib talk so crib talk is just kiddos learning language mm-hmm. and it's them talking to themselves explaining their daily routine whether it be oh i'm putting my shoe on i'm tying my shoe mommy and blah, 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 are gonna be very happy with <laughs> i'm me. pooping in my pants exactly i'm gonna make mommy and daddy clean me <laughs> because i am an insolent child who doesn't care if we have children oh. they're gonna be absolute disasters who just poop all of the time well, if the cats are anything to go by, they will poop all the time and smell really bad. So Yeah, that's fine. Um, okay, so so crib talk in infancy, as I said, is usually seen as like uh, animated conversations with dolls, toys, Star Wars action figures. Yeah. Um, and then usually by the time that they're like toddlers or preschoolers, it might be like excited whispered monologues. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get a cheeseburger today. Or like, oh, I got to go see my friends today. Ooh. But it's not, it's not uncommon. So again, according to child psychologists, it's common for young kids to talk about themselves as they go about their day, mm-hmm. um, and it shouldn't be judged or seen as weird. I'm gonna judge. <laughs> Typical self-talk or crib talk uh, peaks often between the ages of three to five, but can persist for longer. Okay. Still, um, even though this is something that is very normal, a lot of parents are still worried. Um, one mom, according to todaysparent.com, stated that she often listens to her four-year-old son, Cole, mm-hmm. talking to him to themselves about putting on their shoes, mm-hmm. narrating experiences they had during the day in the stroller, or projecting their feelings that they had towards their parents or someone they met oh. towards stuffed animals. And then also when they um spend a little bit of extra time in their room mm-hmm. around 3 a.m. summoning demons. <laughs> yeah is that you as well 
No, I'm just that's something that I've heard from a lot of oh, new parents. Sure, sure. Yeah. I I absolutely see. Yeah. yeah. Again, this is why I'm worried about our future kiddos. Hannah and Eric, you better watch yourself. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I just I feel like I'm gonna be so paranoid of like as soon as the kiddo does something weird, I'm like <gasps> Oh my God. Are they possessed? Are you possessed? Yeah. Exactly. Because a lot of kids, according to this, say say things like, don't feel scared of the dark. It's okay. I'm going to hug you. But like, they'll do Aww, that themselves. That's so cute. It's weird. That's not weird. That's it's, cute. I guess. Ugh. They okay. need that help and protection. I guess. It's true. But again, kids just creep me out. Yeah. Because sometimes they'll just stop and stare at the wall <laughs> or they'll just start talking to themselves about nothing. And it's like, Dude, you okay? Yeah. Yeah. I guess cats do that too, though. They do. The, oh. They talk to themselves all the time. Yeah. They'll just chirp. It's like, why are you chirping right now? Exactly. Or they'll just like, stare, again, stare at a wall, dude. Yeah. All children are the same. Yeah. Including non-human children. Great. This is true. Yeah. Well, today, in particular, I'm going to be talking about one extraordinarily odd child, uh, this is a, a, the well-known case uh, of James Laniger. Okay. Laniger? Sure. We'll go with that. So, six decades... Ooh, what was that? Six decades ago, a 21-year-old Navy fighter pilot on a mission over the Pacific was shot down by Japanese artillery. His name might have been forgotten were it not for six-year-old James Laniger. Oh. So quite a few people, including those who knew the fighter pilot, thinks James is the pilot re- reincarnated. Okay. So this is kind of a, this is a pretty big story. This is one that a sure. lot of people have heard of before. Um, yeah. So before I begin going really deep in, I just want to say I got this story from ABC News. Okay. Um, so James's parents, Andrea and Bruce, who this article described them as a highly educated modern couple say they are probably the least likely to have a scenario like this pop up in their lives. Mm -hmm. But over time they have become convinced that their little son had a former life. Okay. So a little bit more about James. So James was born on April 10th, 1988 uh, as related by this first notable incident in the case. So really quickly, this case has been talked about a lot. Um, There's a ton of journals written about it, ton of, interviews uh books have been written about this kiddo so i just want to keep that in mind of like i don't you know i don't want to i don't want to point fingers i don't want to implicate anything yeah um you know this is the story or this is the family telling their story Mm -hmm. if it's completely factual great if it's fabricated fine yeah but i'm just gonna be telling the information that i have today i've heard some stories that are similar to this okay um, nice but i'd like to hear what you have to say about this one okay all right i don't think i know this one specifically oh alrighty. okay so um the very first time that the family noticed something just different mm-hmm. with their little james was when um his father took him to the cavanaugh flight museum outside of dallas texas um james was fascinated by planes and in particular by the world war ii exhibit and okay. mind you he's only 22 months old Okay. Yep. So when they left after three hours of, of touring the, the museum, James had some toy planes that they had gotten from the gift shop, mm-hmm. as well as a video called It's Kind of Magic about the Blue Angels. Um, okay. So this was something that his dad had bought him at the gift shop. Yeah. Um, over the next few weeks, James began to just absolutely love the video and watched it repeatedly for weeks on end. So, you know, some kiddos really like to... Not weird. No. Like... 
I, I my little brother would watch um the incredible hulk <laughs> like back to back seriously to back to back, all oh my day goodness. every day yeah that's beautiful that was me with jumanji yeah like my family hates the movie jumanji now because <laughs> i just i was like let's go yeah i love jumanji Nice. So it's not it's not that weird. No, so it's not whether weird it be at all. the Incredible Hulk or Jumanji or a a Blue Angels a Blue flight Angels documentary. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. So um the trip in the video started or uncovered his love for planes. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little while later in that spring, James and his father made a second trip to the museum museum on Memorial Day weekend. James was again excited throughout his time there, though he grew quiet in the hangar that housed the World War II aircraft. He stood up and pointed at the planes as if in awe. Within two months of the first trip, James developed a habit of saying, quote, airplane crash on fire and slamming his toy planes nose first into the family's coffee table. He repeated this behavior over and over again, producing dozens of scratches and dents on the table and destroying his toy planes. Oh, my. James's father traveled a lot. And when James and his his mother would see him off at the airport, James would often say, Daddy, airplane crash on fire before he departed. <laughs> Very uncomfortable leaving that in that situation. Like, yeah. Th- thanks, bud. Oh, uh, love you, too. <laughs> see you soon, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> fine okay so this happened repeatedly despite the the family's um just trying to push it off you know sure, just, it just yeah. kept on happening yeah um around this time james began having quite extreme nightmares mm. his behavior during this time seemed to involve only screams at first but then began to include the words of airplane crash on fire little man can't get out oh yep James would shout this over and over again while thrashing about and kicking his legs up in the air while in his bed. After a few months of this, he had several conversations with his parents about the dreams, usually as he was preparing to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. He indicated that they were memories of events from the past. Mm-hmm. He said that his plane had crashed on fire and that it had shot, been shot down by Japanese. Oh. Uh, yep. Why would he even know what that word is? I don't know. And then again, he's like a year and a half year old, like yeah, oh, almost two years. Still, but like those are those are big concepts. That's big concepts, exactly. Yeah. Two weeks after those statements, James said his plane was a Corsair, which mm. was a fighter plane that was developed during World War II, yeah. and he talked about flying a Corsair several times. On August twenty seventh, two thousand, when James was about twenty eight months old, he told his parents that he had flown his plane off a boat. Okay. When his parents asked him the name of the boat, he had said Natoma. After that conversation, his father searched online for the word and eventually discovered a description of the USS Natoma Bay, an escort carrier stationed in the Pacific during World War II. He printed out the information he found, and the footer of the printout um, includes the date. Mm. So the date was... Well, we'll talk about that. So James' parents asked him a number of times for the name of the little man in his dream. He always responded with me or James. Mm -hmm. A few weeks after James gave the word Natoma, his parents asked him if he could remember anything else about the little man. Yeah. James finally responded with the name Jack. Jack Larson. No. One day when James was over a little over two and a half years old, his father was looking through a book he was planning to give his own father for Christmas, mm. one called The Battle of Iwo Jima, 1945. Okay. 
His father reports that James pointed to the picture showing an aerial view of the base of the island where Mount, Mount Suribachi, a dormant volcano, sits and said, Daddy, that's where my plane went down. Oh, my gosh. His father said, what? And James <laughs> responded, Daddy, my airplane got shot down there. Goosebumps. Oh, my gosh. A week after that, James's father talked to a veteran from Natoma Bay who remired, who remembered a pilot named Jack Larson. Uh, he said Larson flew off one day and never returned, so no one knew what happened to him. <laughs> James's vivid alle- alleged <sighs> recollections started to fade as he got older, but among his prized possessions remained two haunting presents given to him by uh, that veteran. Mm-hmm. So... um. This veteran says that um, it appears to have some. It appears that the kiddo had experienced something that I think is pretty unique. That it revealed something that is quite and quite astonishing. Um, unfortunately, as the as James got older, um, the parents decided that maybe all of this attention on their small child was maybe not the best thing for him. You know, living a normal life. Yeah. So unfortunately, there's not a lot more written about him. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, asked if the idea that James may be someone else. Um, so the parents were asked if like this made them uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. The father said, the father Bruce said, it doesn't change how we think. I don't look at my son and say, that's not my boy. Yeah. So I just... um. I think it's pretty interesting. And I know it's kind of a short story, but I just wanted to ask you, like, what what are your thoughts? That's crazy. Yeah. Um, it is very similar to other stories I've heard. Sure. Which at some point we may end up talking about. Yeah. Um, it's so weird yeah. that this little child mm-hmm. has would ever have had access to this information. Or the understanding of the information. Exactly. So it's kind. It doesn't really make any sense. Yeah. Um. Like, like you said. I mean, I guess it could be a hoax. Yeah. Like maybe the parents taught him to say these specific things and whatever. But yeah. Still. It's still. If it wasn't. Yeah. Like, if there's a small part of that that was real. That's crazy. Uh Uh-huh. Exactly. Yeah. It's just, it's so interesting. And there are, there's so much research about him. Um, So there's a big group of scientists who just study reincarnation in general. Mm -hmm. And this story is just simply known as the case of James Leniger, the boy who remembered himself as a World War II pilot. Yeah. And it's just, it's so interesting to see like how much has been written about him and um there was other accounts of him um going through how to get into the plane how to start the engine when he was only three years old there's no way he would know that oh like that's so much for a three-year-old to be able to like you said to to comprehend and to remember he doesn't know how to tie his shoes exactly let alone get in and start an airplane yeah so it's just, it's really, really fascinating. And I am just interested in, okay, let's say that this is real. Yeah. Excuse me. In your opinion, I know this is kind of a hot topic, but 
if kiddos, when they're very young, can remember things, let's say they have a past life, mm-hmm. why, what do you think is the reason that maybe they can't remember that as they get older? I don't know. Maybe it's like you're just developing new memories on top of the old ones, sure. where the old ones are currently sitting. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's almost like your two lives are blending. Yeah. And almost like your past life, if that's what we're going with. It your becomes past- like more of a dream yeah. memory instead. Exactly. Like I remember some dreams I've had, you know, that I was s- still in the old house mm. with my mom. So. Yeah. Maybe they just feel they start to become more like dream memories. Yeah. Oh, gosh. That's just so fascinating. Yeah. Well, um, if you have any of your own experiences that you want to, you feel like sharing, please, we would love to hear them. Definitely. Um, again, I will ask my lovely mother if she can remember anything creepy that I said as a kiddo. Yeah. Um, but I do want to just on a lighter note. I, we I, should both do that. I would love that. By the way. Let's talk. Justin, let's talk to our parents. What a concept. Mothers. <laughs> I know you're listening. <laughs> let's let's talk about this. Let's do this. And bring this back. Let's talk about it next week at the wedding. Screw the right. everything else. Let's yeah. just talk about creepy stuff no that we did vows, as kids. No. No promises, nothing. Just no. Creepy child stuff. <laughs> fine. Oh, that'd be fine. Yeah. The day I almost gave you back. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> Okay, well, to end on a little bit lighter of a note, mm-hmm. um, I, w- I want to tell you a funny story uh, that comes from the Reddit thread. Is that what they're called? Reddit yeah. threads? Of um, creepy stuff my kids do. So it's, Great. it's, it's like r slash parents or yeah, something like that. Yeah. So the story, the story, this is very short, but this story is titled, My Son Keeps on Taking a Bag of Mexican Cheese Out of the Refrigerator. <laughs> So me, <laughs> honestly. Okay, I'm gonna try my best to get, to get through this. Great. Okay, so this was this was posted by uh, Fat Free Freedom. Of course. <laughs> um, Sounds like it's in America, then. Exactly. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So this says, "I'm being quite serious. My three-year-old son periodically throughout the day <laughs> goes into the fridge and pulls a bag of Mexican cheese from the shelf, <laughs> which he then proceeds to." <laughs> somewhere in the house (laughs) (laughs) i found mexican cheese under the couch (laughs) behind my tv (laughs) sorry what (laughs) behind behind the refrigerator tossed up on top of the stove (laughs) in the bathtub laying on the stairs and in my car (laughs) i'm so sorry (laughs) oh my god okay i have a total of four boys eight nine one and three the two oldest have never done anything like this before and i can't tell you why my three-year-old is forging food like a squirrel going into hibernation (laughs) is this shit normal should i be concerned it's not a big deal when he see when he sees me grab it. <laughs> so he watches him pick it back up. Oh <laughs> I can just imagine gosh. him like peering around the doorway <laughs> watching him pick up this bag of cheese. And on top of all of this, he calls it his queso stash. <laughs> 
beyond this mildly annoying sensation of stepping on a bag of cheese in the middle of the night. This seems pretty harmless. I just want to stop it without traumatizing him. It's become such an issue on our Taco Tuesday because I can't find my cheese. My wife doesn't agree with the last statement of me saying or with me saying that something needs to be done. But cheese doesn't grow on on trees. I want to know how to stop this. Oh, my gosh. So uh, that's my story of kids being the actual worst. That is one of the funniest things I think (laughs) I've ever heard. Oh, my gosh. Can can you imagine? Like you said, he's watching his dad find the cheese. Yeah. Put it back in the fridge. It's so funny that he takes it out and puts it somewhere that's not hidden. It's just like. He throws it on top of the stove. He finds it in the bathtub. Like, why? Why would you just leave it there, call it your queso stash, and just walk away? Could you imagine getting up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, and there's just a bag of cheese right by the toilet? Oh my my goodness. Okay. I can't handle it. No, I was just like, what is this story? My recommendation <laughs> is um, maybe try out some different cheeses. Try different cheese. Exactly. Yeah. Let's yeah. see if the kiddo has the same reaction to Parmesan, to, um, I don't know, some some shredded Colby Jack. Right. Or put like a child lock on your fridge. He did call it his queso stash. This so maybe true. if you used a different kind of cheese. Exactly. That's not from Central America. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Let's try it out. Let's see. Let us know. Yeah. Fat-free freedom. I'd love to hear back from this. <laughs> Uh, if there's any updates, that would be awesome. <laughs> oh my god, kids are the worst. It's so good. All right, well that's my story. Bye. That was really good. Thank you. Crazy, mostly. Yeah, if you're interested about the first serious story, again, there's so much more research, but yeah. I just I didn't want to get into like the nitty details because there's also a part of me that is like, okay, well, even if this is true, I get so worried about like little kids being exploited. Yeah. And like. Yeah. I just, yeah. So it's fair. I was like, well, okay. How, like, I want you, I want people to share this story, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it's like, okay, well, when your kid is being interviewed over and over again, yeah. or like even that story that inspired the heaven is for real book. Yeah. She's like, oh, okay. But that's my personal opinion. No, that's fair. So. It was a good story though. Thank you. Never heard that before. Thanks. Also the case of Sash was pretty good. <laughs> little bud that's great i could see sage doing that definitely yeah all right hello hello this is my portion of the podcast wow i'm excited wow wow um not gonna tell you what i titled it I'm only going to tell you the sources. Oh, okay. Wikipedia. Great. Of course. Ambiguous. History collection article by Jennifer Connolly. Fine. Nat Geo. Oh. And finally, AlienNationCorporation.com. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> you had three really good, credible sources, and then you bring Nat Geo into this, and I lose all respect. Right. Exactly. Yes. 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 So I'm going to set you up with a little bit of context. Mm. This story refers to two attempts by Sir Walter Raleigh to found the first permanent English settlement in North America. 
The first colony was established by Governor Ralph Lane in 1585 on an island in what is now Dare County, North Carolina, United States. Hmm. Following the failure of the 1585 settlement, a second colony, led by John White, landed on the same island in 1587. Hmm. Lane's colony was troubled by a lack of supplies and poor relations with the local indigenous people. While awaiting a delayed resupply mission by a man named Richard Grenville, Lane decided to abandon the colony and return to England with Sir Francis Drake. He was an English sea captain, privateer, naval officer, and explorer in 1586. Nice. Grenville then arrived two weeks later and left a small detachment to protect Raleigh's claim. In 1587, Raleigh sent White on an expedition to establish the city of Raleigh in Chesapeake Bay. However, during a stop to check in on Grenville's men, the flagship's pilot, Simon Fernandez, insisted that White's colonists remain on the island. White returned to England with Fernandez, intending to bring more supplies back to his colony in 1588. Instead, the Anglo-Spanish War delayed his return until 1590. Upon his arrival, he found the settlement was fortified but abandoned. The word Croatoan (gasps) was found carved into the defensive wall. Before he could follow any leads, rough seas and a lost anchor forced the rescue mission to return to England. The fate of the approximately 112 to 121 colonists remains unknown. Today, we will be talking about the lost colony of Roanoke. How dare you? Oh my god, I am so excited. <laughs> yeah. There were a couple of keywords that like, I was like, oh, you piqued my interest because I was like, North Carolina? 1500s? Yeah. Yep. So this is, uh, I have a little map of the lo- location of Roanoke Island in North Carolina. Okay. Um, just give you a little bit of an idea where it was. Nice. All right. Yeah. Um, so I have a little bit of a long story today just because we ha- there's a lot of history to talk about. Yeah. Because obviously um, there was an initial colony who mm-hmm. went and then that failed. Yeah. And then the second one is what ended up being lost. Hmm. So there's a lot to discuss today. I mean, with this big of a story, you can't just breeze through it. Right. Absolutely not. Like, this is the story. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. So we have some background on these settlement projects. <clears throat> um, the Outer Banks, which was, um, you can kind of see it on that map. It's like, yeah. it, they're almost like islands sort of they're like uh protective islands almost on the coast sure so the outer banks were explored in 1524 by giovanni da verrazzano who mistook pamlico sound for the pacific ocean and concluded that the barrier islands were an isthmus oh recognizing this as a potential shortcut to ming china he presented his findings to King Francis I of France and King Henry VIII of England, neither of whom pursued the matter. In 1578, Queen Elizabeth I granted a charter to Sir Humphrey Gilbert to explore and colonize territories unclaimed by Christian kingdoms thus far. The terms of the charter were vague, though Gilbert understood it to give him rights to all territory in the New World north of Spanish Florida. Mm. Following Gilbert's death in 1583, the Queen divided the charter between his brother Adrian Gilbert and his half-brother Walter Raleigh. Mm. Adrian's charter gave him the patent on Newfoundland and all points north 
where geographers expected to eventually find a long, long sought Northwest passage to Asia, which technically did exist yeah. in the Bering Strait. Um, Raleigh was awarded the lands to the South then, though much of it was already claimed by Spain. Mm. However, Richard Hackliot, writer and proponent of colonization of North America, had by this time taken notice of Verrazano's isthmus located within Raleigh's claim and was campaigning for England to capitalize on the opportunity. Interesting. So Raleigh's charter, issued on March 25th, 1584, specified that he needed to establish a colony by 1550, or 1591 or lose his right to colonization. He was to, quote, discover, search, find out, and view such remote heathen and barbarous lands, countries, and territories to have, hold, occupy, and enjoy, end quote. It was expected that Raleigh would establish a base from which to send privateers on raids against the treasure fleets of Spain. Mm. Despite the broad powers granted to Raleigh, he was forbidden to leave the Queen's side. Instead of personally leading voyages to the Americas, he delegated the missions to his associates and oversaw operations from London. Yet he has the city named after him. Interesting. Right. Huh. Yeah. So we move to the expeditions. Raleigh quickly arranged an expedition to explore his claim. It departed England on April 27th, 1584. The fleet consisted of two barks. I have a picture of actually. These are uh, English ships. Oh, I was like, what the heck is a bark? Yeah. Nice. Uh, Philip Amadas was captain of the larger vessel with Simon Fernandez as pilot. I mentioned him in the, mm -hmm. in the beginning. While Arthur Barlow was in command of the other. There are indications that Thomas Harriet and John White may have participated in the voyage, but no records survive which directly confirm their involvement. Hmm. The expedition employed a standard route for transatlantic voyages sailing south to catch the trade winds, which carried them westward to the West Indies, where they collected fresh water. The West Indies was actually like the Caribbean. At this oh, point. sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's where they collected fresh water. The two ships then sailed north until July 4th. Ah. Ah. Canada Day. <laughs> when they sighted land at what is now called Cape Fear. The fleet made landfall on July 13th at an inlet north of Hatterask Island, which was named Port Ferdinando after Fernandez, who right. discovered it. Discovered. Uh-huh. Of course. The Native Americans in the region had, like, um, had likely encountered or at least observed Europeans from previous expeditions. Mm -hmm. The Secotan, who controlled Roanoke Island and the mainland between Albemarle Sound and the Pamlico River soon made contact with the English and established friendly relations. Wow, okay. Yeah. The Secatan chieftain, Wingina, had recently been injured in a war with the Pamlico, so his brother, Granganimeo, represented the tribe in his place. Okay. Upon their return to England in the autumn of 1584, Amadas and Barlow spoke highly of the tribe's hospitality and the strategic location of Roanoke. They brought back two natives, Wanches, a Secotan, and Monteo, a Croatan, whose mother was the chieftain of Cro Croatoan Island. The expedition's reports described the region as a pleasant and bountiful land, alluding to the Golden Age and the Garden of Eden, although these accounts may have been slightly embellished by Raleigh. I mean... 
of course, whatever you're doing, you want to make it sound as great as possible so uh-huh. you can get the most money. Interesting. To continue. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've heard North Carolina is pretty rad. Yeah. I've been to the airport, but sure. that's about it. Yeah. Hated that. Right. Yeah, yeah. That was not a good experience. No. But can't hurt to go, probably. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Try it out. Yeah. Well, of course, Queen Elizabeth was then impressed with the results of his expedition. Mm. In 1585, during a ceremony to Knight Raleigh, she proclaimed the land granted to him Virginia and oh. proclaimed him Knight Lord and Governor of Virginia. Stop. Sir Walter Raleigh proceeded to seek <laughs> investors to fund a colony. Great. Because with that title, who's not going to help you out? I mean, truly, that's so many titles in yeah. one thing. Like, just choose one. Right. Okay, Queenie. Yeah. So, now we have the first colony. Mm. The Lane Colony. Oh. For the first colony in Virginia, Raleigh planned a largely military operation focused on exploration and evaluation of natural resources. The intended number of colonists is unknown, but approximately 600 men were sent in the voyage, with probably about half intended to remain at the colony, to be followed by a second wave later. Hmm. Ralph Lane was appointed governor of the colony, and Philip Amadas would serve as admiral, although the fleet commander, Sir Richard Grenville, led the overall mission. Civilian attendants included metallurgist Joachim Gans, scientist Thomas Harriet, and artist John White. Hmm. Manteo and the and Wachens, Wanches, sorry, returning home from their visit to England were also passengers on the voyage. Okay. So the voyage, the fleet consisted of seven ships, the Galleass, <laughs> not even kidding, that's what it's called. Tiger. Aw. Aw. Grenville's flagship with Fernandez as pilot, the flyboat Roebuck, Red Lion, Elizabeth, Dorothy, which was Raleigh's personal ship, <gasps> and two small pinnaces. Aw, I want to be on Tiger. Yeah. Yeah. On April 9th, 1585, the fleet departed Plymouth, heading south through the Bay of Biscay. A severe storm off the coast of Portugal separated Tiger from the rest of the fleet and sank one of the pinnaces. No! Yeah. Fortunately, Fernandez had advised a plan for such an occurrence wherein the ships would meet up at Mosquetal on the south coast of Puerto Rico. Hmm. Proceeding alone, Tiger made good speed for the Caribbean, arriving at the rendezvous point on May 11th ahead of the other ships. Hmm. While waiting for the fleet, Grenville established a base camp where his crew could rest and defend themselves from Spanish forces. Hmm. Lane's men used the opportunity to practice for building the fortifications that would be needed at the new colony. The crew also set about replacing the lost pinnace, forging nails and sawing local lumber to construct a new ship. The Elizabeth arrived on May 19th, shortly after the completion of the fort and pinnace. I actually have a picture here of uh, the Mosquetal fortifications. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So it's pretty cool that they did that right along the shore and kind of inland, but then along the river, it's wide open. Yeah. I love that they drew in a crane, a crab, and some ducks. Yeah. It's very important. It is. And some horses. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely horses. Really sage. Really. Really. (laughs) He is just all over everything. Splayed out. Oh my God. You big butt. Great. Sorry. Continue. Fine. The remainder of the fleet never arrived at Mosquetal. 
<clears throat> at oh. least one of the ships encountered difficulties near Jamaica and ran out of supplies, causing his captain to send 20 of his crew ashore. Eventually, Roebuck, Red Lion, and Dorothy continued to the Outer Banks instead. Mm. They went directly there, arriving by mid-June. Okay. Red Lion left about 30 men on Croatoan Island and departed for privateering in Newfoundland. In the meantime, Grenville established contact with local Spanish authorities in the hopes of obtaining fresh provisions. But when the Spanish failed to deliver the promised supplies, mm. because of course they're at war, Grenville suspected they would soon attack, so he and his ships abandoned the temporary fort. Oh, okay. Yeah. The fleet sailed through an inlet at Wokokone Island near present-day Okrakoke Inlet on June 26th. Tiger struck a shoal ruining most of the food supplies and nearly destroying the ship. Oh, gosh. There are indications that Grenville's fleet was supposed to spend the winter with the new colony, perhaps to immediately begin using it as a privateering base. The wreck of the Tiger, however, made that impossible. The remaining provisions could not support a settlement as large as had been planned. Moreover, the shallow inlets of the Outer Banks made the region unsuitable for a base to support large ships. The colony's top priority now moved to locate a better harbor. Sure. <clears throat> It's just so sad because it's like, I wonder just what would have happened if everything would have lined up. Yeah. You know, how it was supposed to. Right. But it just kind of feels like one thing after the another is going wrong. Definitely. And they're not even done yet. Yep. After repairs, Tiger continued with the rest of the fleet to Port Ferdinando, mm -hmm. where they reunited with Roebuck and Dorothy. The men left behind by Red Lion were presumably also located during this time. On August 5th, John Arundel took command of one of the faster vessels and set sail for England to report the expedition's safe arrival. So we have their establishment. This is when they start setting up. Hmm. The loss of provisions from Tiger meant that the, meant that the colony could, would support far fewer settlers than originally planned. Sure. Grenville decided that only about 100 would stay with Lane, which would be enough to fulfill the colony's objectives until another fleet scheduled to leave England in June 1585 could deliver a second wave of colonists and supplies. Okay. However, Gren Grenville could not know that this expedition had been redirected to Newfoundland to oh. alert fishing fleets that the Spanish had begun seizing English commercial vessels in retaliation for attacks by English privateers. Hmm. Until a resupply mission could be arranged, Lane's colony would be heavily dependent on the generosity of the local people. While the Tiger was under repair, Grenville organized an expedition to explore Pamlico Sound and the Secotan villages of Aquascogoc, Pamlico, and Secotan. His party made contact with the locals, presenting Harriet and White, the artist and the writer, <clears throat> an opportunity to extensively study Native American society. Oh, cool. Yeah. Following this initial exploration, however, a silver cup was reported missing. Believing the item stolen... Grenville sent Amadas to lead a detachment back to Aquascogoc to demand the return of the missing property. When the villagers did not produce the cup, the English decided that severe retribution was necessary in order to avoid the appearance of weakness to the local people. Over a cup. Yeah. Amadas and his men burnt down the entire town and its crops, sending the natives fleeing. Oh, come on. Yeah. Grenville then set sail for England aboard Tiger on August 25th, 1585, days later in Bermuda. 
Grenville raided a large Spanish galleon, Santa Maria de San Vicente, which had become separated from the rest of its fleet. Mm. The merchant ship, which Grenville took back to England as a prize, was loaded with enough treasure to make the entire Roanoke expedition profitable, spurring excitement in Queen Elizabeth's court about Raleigh's colonization efforts. Mm. He didn't do anything. Nope. Except steal a ship from someone who wasn't even involved. Uh-huh. But the, But he's like, yeah. I'm I'm great at this. Yeah. Let me keep doing it. Because I'm <clears throat> Sir Knight Commander Chief. Yes. Yep. Exactly. After the events of the town with the local population, relationships between them and the English quickly waned and grew hostile. It became difficult for the colony to sustain themselves without help, so it was decided they should evacuate. Easy. Yeah. Then we move to the Lost Colony. Mm. After the evacuation of the first one, the Lane Colony. Despite the desertion of the Lane Colony, Raleigh was persuaded to make another attempt by Hackliot, Harriet, and White. <clears throat> However, Roanoke Island would no longer be safe for English settlers following the hostilities between Lane's men and the Secretan. On January 7th, 1587, Raleigh approved a corporate charter to found the city of Raleigh with White as governor and 12 assistants. Approximately 115 people agreed to join the colony, including White's pregnant daughter, Eleanor, and her husband, mm-hmm. Ananias Dare. Mm-hmm. The colonists were largely middle-class Londoners. This time, the party included women and children, but no organized military force. Interesting. Yeah. The expedition consisted of three ships. The flagship, Lion, again, <laughs> captained by White with Fernandez as master and pilot, mm-hmm. along with a flyboat and a full-rigged Pinnace. Oh. oh. The fleet departed on May 8th. On July 22nd, the flagship and Pinnace anchored at Croatoan Island. White planned to take 40 men there aboard the Pinnace to Roanoke, where he would consult with the 15 men stationed there by Grenville before continuing on to Chesapeake Bay. Mm. Once he boarded the Pinnace, however, Fernandez ordered the sailors to leave the colonists on Roanoke. The following morning, White's party located the site of Lane's colony. The fort had been dismantled while the houses stood vacant and overgrown with melons. There was no sign that Grenville's men had ever been there except for human bones that White believed were the remains of one of them killed by Native Americans. Following the arrival of the flyboat on July 25th, all of the colonists disembarked. Shortly thereafter, colonist George Howe was killed by a native while searching for crabs in Albemarle Sound. I actually have in... uh, a depiction of that, an artist's depiction of that as well. Oh gosh, that's intense. Yeah, it is. Boy. Yeah. So he was just searching for crabs to eat. Fine. Yeah. But I mean, at this point, if you see someone who's like English, you're not going to be too happy with them. It's just so hostile right now. Yeah. Between everybody. Yeah. So after this, White dispatched. Um, someone to help reestablish relations with the Croatan mm-hmm. with the help of Manteo, the one who went to England in the beginning. The Croatan described how a coalition of mainland tribes led by Juan Chase had attacked Grenville's detachment. Mm. The colonists attempted to negotiate a truce through the Croatan but received no response. On August 18th, 1587, Eleanor Dare gave birth to a daughter, christened Virginia, in honor of being the first Christian born in Virginia. 
Wow. Yeah. Records indicate Marjorie Harvey gave birth shortly thereafter, although nothing else is known about her child. By the time the fleet was preparing to return to England, the colonists had decided to relocate 50 miles up Albemarle Sound. The colonists persuaded Governor White to return to England to explain the colony's desperate situation and ask for help. While White reluctantly agreed and departed with the fleet on August 27th, 1587. It was very hard for them to find supplies and food. Yeah. They basically re-inhabited the places that people had already been. Yeah. But there's nothing there. Yeah. And they couldn't figure it out either. So they asked their governor to go back to England and ask for help. Because of the Anglo-Spanish War, it would be another three years before he could return with assistance. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And I have a, I have a painting of uh, the, the ships and kind of like a war oh, between the ships. That was beautiful. Yeah. So then we have the, 19, the 1590 Relief Mission. Okay. This was the returning. Mm. Eventually... Raleigh arranged passage for White on a privateering expedition organized by John Watts. The fleet of six ships would spend the summer of 1590 raiding Spanish outposts in the Caribbean, but the flagship Hopewell and the Moonlight would split off to take White to his colony to rescue them and give them supplies. Hopewell and Moonlight anchored at Croatoan Island on August 12th. On the evening of August 15th, while anchored at the north end of Croatoan Island, the crews sighted plumes of smoke on Roanoke Island. The following morning, they investigated another column of smoke on the southern end of Croatoan, but found nothing. White's landing party spent the next two days attempting to cross Pamlico Sound with considerable difficulty and loss of life. Oh my gosh. Yeah. On August 17th, they sighted a fire on the north end of Roanoke and rode towards it, but they reached the island after nightfall and decided not to risk coming ashore. Mm -hmm. The men spent the night in their anchored boats, singing English songs in hopes that the colonists would hear them. Oh my gosh. Yeah. They were worried about all of the uh, indigenous people attacking them because things had been so bad between the two groups before. Yeah. Well... White and the others made landfall on the morning of August 18th, his granddaughter's third birthday, by the way. The party found fresh tracks in the sand, but were not contacted by anyone. They also discovered the letters C-R-O carved into a tree. Upon reaching the site of the colony, White noted the area had been fortified with a palisade, which is a defensive wall. Mm. Near the entrance of the fencing, the word Croatoan was carved in one of the posts. White was certain these two inscriptions meant that the colonists had peacefully relocated to Croatoan Island since they had agreed in 1587 that the colonists would leave a secret token indicating their destination. Ooh. And uh, I have another artist depiction of them finding Croatoan. Oh, God, that's so creepy. Yeah. Wow. So interesting. Within the palisade, the search party found that houses had been dismantled and anything that could be carried had been removed. Hmm. Several large trunks, including three belonging to White, containing the belongings he left behind in 1587, had been dug up and looted. None of the colony's boats could be found along the shore. Interesting. Okay. The party returned to Hopewell that evening, and plans were made to return to Croatoan the following day. However, 
Hopewell's anchor cable snapped, leaving the ship with only one working cable and anchor. The search mission could not continue given the considerable risk of shipwreck. So Moonlight set off for England, but the crew of Hopewell offered a compromise with White in which they would spend winter in the Caribbean and return to the Outer Banks in the spring of 1591. This plan fell through, though, when Hopewell was blown off course, forcing them to stop for supplies in the Azores. When the winds prevented landfall there, the ship was again forced to change course for England, arriving in October 24, 1590. So they never went back when they were supposed to. So now, I will lead us into some of the investigations mm. into the Lost Colony. Okay. So, we have Sir Walter Raleigh investigated. Although White failed to locate his colonists in 1590, his reports suggested they had simply relocated and might yet be found alive. However, it served Raleigh's purposes to keep the matter in doubt. So long as the settlers could not be proven dead, he could legally maintain his claim on Virginia. Uh. Nevertheless, a a 1594 petition was made to declare Ananias Dare legally dead so that his son John Dare could inherit his estate. Mm. The petition was granted in 1597. I have a picture of uh, Walter Raleigh here too. Oh wow. Very proper looking. That's a that's a get up. Yeah it is. <laughs> wow. It's like Shakespeare. He was pretty much a jerk. Yeah. Uh, during Raleigh's first transatlantic voyage in 1595 he claimed to be in search of his lost colonists, although he would admit that this was disinformation to cover his search for El Dorado. I'm sorry. On the return voyage, he sailed past the Outer Banks and later claimed that weather prevented him from landing. Mm. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. He never wanted to find those people. No. Next up, we have Bartholomew Gilbert. There was one final expedition in 1603 led by Bartholomew Gilbert with the intention of finding the Roanoke colonists. Their intended destination was Chesapeake Bay, but bad weather forced them to land in an unspecified location near there. The landing team, including Gilbert himself, was killed by a group of Native Americans for unknown reasons on July 29th. The remaining crew were forced to return to England empty-handed. Yeah. And as of today... The National Park Service began administration of the area in 1941, designating it Fort Raleigh National Historic Site. Oh. In 15... Oh, my gosh. I keep mixing these up. In 1950, the earthwork was reconstructed in an effort to restore its original size and shape. Mm, Okay. So, no one's really been able to find a whole lot of conclusive evidence there yet. Sure. Um, There have been, like, archaeological digs and stuff like that, but... Nothing conclusive has really been found. Hmm. Yeah. And I just think that's so, just so fascinating, too, because as you said that White went back to England, correct? Mm-hmm. And so he he never found out what happened to his Mm-mm. his family, yeah. his daughter and his son-in-law and his granddaughter. Right. Dang. Well, he was never able to get back because nobody supported his, his uh, sh- like, his shipment out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Well, if this wasn't weird enough for you so far, I have a bunch of theories oh my God. about I'm... what happened to the lost colony of Roanoke. Okay. 
<clears throat> so, first theory, integration. Oh, okay. People have considered the possibility that the missing colonists would have assimilated into nearby Native American tribes since at least 1605. Oh. If this integration was successful, the assimilated colonists would gradually exhaust their European supplies, like ammunition and clothing, mm -hmm. and discard their European culture, their language, styles of dress, and agriculture, as Algonquian lifestyle became more convenient to them. Sure. Colonial-era Europeans observed that people removed from European society by Native Americans, even if captured or enslaved, were reluctant to return. Therefore, it is reasonable to expect that, at some point, the assimilated colonists or their descendants would resist efforts, efforts at recovery. Nice. I have a nice picture here, too, of um, a settlement. Ooh. S the Secatan settlement. Very nice. Yeah. Cute. It's cute. Oh. Oh. So uh, they're green corn. Corn newly sprung. <laughs> fine. The the words is uh, is fine. Um, I respect it. Yeah. So that's definitely one of the prevailing theories. Sure. I will say, however, there have never been, there have been a bunch of DNA tests done on people that lived in the area and. N nothing that they have found really definitively links any background sure. to English descent. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Next up, they could have returned to England. Really? The colonists could have decided to rescue themselves by sailing for England in the pinnace left behind by the 1587 expedition. If such an effort was made, the ship could have been lost with all hands at sea, mm. accounting for the absence of both the ship and any trace of the colonists. It is plausible that the colony included sailors qualified to attempt the return voyage. Little is known about the pinnace, but ships of its size were capable of making the trip, although they typically did so alongside other vessels. Okay. The colonists may have feared that a standard route across the Atlantic Ocean with a stop in the Caribbean, would risk a Spanish attack. Nevertheless, it was feasible for the colonists to attempt a direct course to England. In 1563, French settlers at the failed Charles Fort colony built a crude boat and successfully, albeit desperately, returned to Europe. Alternatively, the oh. Roanoke colonists could have sailed along north along the coast in the hopes of making contact with English fleets fishing in the Gulf of Maine. Oh. So this is actually a picture of them building, of the Charles Fort colony, building the boat. And you said that was successful. They did yes. make it back. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Very desperately, but well, they did make it back to Europe. Sure. Yeah. So it is possible. Yeah. But you think somebody would have said something. Yeah. Somebody would know. Yeah. But... Yeah. And then why the why the Croatoan bit? Unless they went to Croatoan and then from there kept on sailing. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Um, the Pinnace would not have been large enough to carry all the colonists. Oh. Additionally, the provisions needed for a transatlantic voyage would further restrict the number of passengers. Sure. The colonists may have possessed the resources to construct another seaworthy vessel using local lumber and spare parts from the Pinnace. It is at least possible that the lost colonists could produce a second ship that, with the pinnace, could transport most of their party. Okay. Even in these ideal conditions, however, 
at least some colonists would have remained in Virginia, leaving open the question of what became of them. Yeah. How do you even make that decision? Yeah, exactly. Like who stays and who goes? Yeah. So hard. Yeah. Um, another theory is, of course, local attacks. Yeah. Due to the unfortunate past between the locals and the settling parties, it is very possible that members of the colony were attacked and killed or simply had a battle. The biggest issue with this theory is that there were no signs of bloodshed or violence within or around the fortification. Yeah. And the same applies for Spanish attacks on the colony as well. Mm. So if they had been attacked or had a battle with anybody, you would have been able to see it. Yeah. But there was nothing there showing that. It just had been basically ransacked yeah but nothing indicated bloodshed of any kind hmm. yeah. yeah that makes it tricky yeah next up we have the dare stones remember the dares the family yes okay from 1937 to 1940 a series of stones were discovered that supposedly tell the story of what happened to the roanoke colonists um, they are called the Dare Stones because they were most apparently written by John White's daughter, Eleanor Dare. Huh. Most historians consider the Dare Stones a hoax, although many historians believe the first stone is authentic. Okay. In 1937, a tourist found an inscribed stone and brought it to Emory University to be examined for authenticity. Dr. Haywood Pierce, a professor of American history, didn't claim that the stone was authentic, but it didn't contradict what was known at the time. Okay. The inscription was consistent with the phrasing of the time and the colonists would have had tools to carve such a message. Sure. The inscriptions on the stone stated that Eleanor's husband and daughter were dead and asked whoever found the stone to tell her father. Oh. So I actually have a picture of the stones. The oh inscription gosh. reads, Ananias Dare and Virginia went hence unto heaven 1591. Any Englishman show John White governor this stone, basically. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh. The other side of the stone reported that only seven of the Roanoke colonists were left alive, and Native Americans had murdered the rest. It was signed EWD for Eleanor White Dare. Wow. Yeah. <sighs> That's heavy. In 1940, 47 more of the stones had been found. Dating until 1599. Whoa. A stone dated from 1592 claims that the survivors of Roanoke are safe, living with a tribe in the Nacoochee Valley in Georgia. One date dated from 1598 claims that Eleanor Dare had married the local chief. Hmm. Another stone claimed that she had given birth to the chief's daughter and the tribe was angry about it. And Eleanor requested that her father bring the girl back to England with him. A stone dated from 1599 states that Eleanor Dare had died and that she had a daughter named Agnes that survived her. Hmm. After their discovery, the stones were examined by the Smithsonian Institute and a historian from Harvard University who declared that the stones had some degree of authenticity, but by 1941, the stones had been exposed as forgeries. Really? In 2015, a History Channel documentary detailed the study of the stones by archaeologists who found that the first stone was authentic, but the others were hoaxes, concluding that they were created with a drill. Oh, come on. Yeah. You're saying they didn't have drills in 1590? Unfortunately not. 
you. Well, still, the fact that if the first one is authentic, mm-hmm. Eleanor is alive and her husband and daughter are not. Correct. Another theory, this one's a little, a little uh-huh. different, is just simply Croatoan. Okay. The word Croatoan was found carved into a fence post at the abandoned colony, and its presence at the site is one of the most confusing mysteries of Roanoke. Yeah. Why was it found there? The word Croatoan is also connected with other mysterious happenings over the centuries, each one more puzzling than the last. Right before he died, Edgar Allan Poe disappeared for a short time. When he was seen again, he was delirious. In his final state of delirium before his death, allegedly one of the last words he said was Croatoan. No. Poe's official cause of death is unknown, and his medical records and death certificate are lost, so we will never know what happened to him the night that he died. The word has also appeared at several other famous disappearances in the 19th and 20th centuries. In 1888, the stagecoach robber Black Bart carved the word into the wall of his cell before he was released from prison. He was never seen or heard from again. It was also found in Amelia Earhart's journal after she disappeared in 1937. Stop. The last bed that horror writer Ambrose Bierce slept in before he disappeared in Mexico in 1913 had the word Croatoan carved into one of the posts. In 1921, Croatoan was written on the last page of the logbook of the ship Carol A. Deering was in when it crashed on Cape Hatteras near Croatoan Island. The ship was missing its entire crew. I'm going to (laughs) vomit. Why? I don't like this. Why? I didn't know this. So it could be that Croatoan is a curse of sorts. Yeah. Okay, you connect Poe and Amelia Earhart. There's not yeah. a lot of things that connect them. You connect those two things, g- goodbye. Mm-hmm. I'm convinced. Yeah. Well, I have some more theories no. here. So another theory is just straight up cannibalism. Oh, yeah. There are two theories about cannibalism. Either the people of Roanoke were the victims of cannibals mm-hmm. or they had to resort to it to stay alive. Sure. Other Native American tribes were hostile to outsiders, and they weren't on good terms with the settlers or the Croatoans. One of these groups could have been a cannibal, yeah. a group of cannibals. There were never any bodies found at the settlement, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Yeah. The bones could have been used for healing remedies by grinding them into powders. Yeah. The people of Roanoke could have been picked off gradually, or cannibals could have kidnapped them and disposed of them that way. Yeah. The fact that no bodies were found sounds like a time-consuming endeavor, but White was also gone for three years. Yeah. If cannibals attacked the settlers, they had more than enough time to dispose of all the bodies. Exactly. There is no definitive evidence that any Native American tribes in the area were cannibals, so this is a less likely theory than the people of Roanoke becoming cannibals themselves. Uh. In 1609, in the settlement of Jonestown, Virginia, the colony had to resort to cannibalism to stay alive. It is possible that the people of Roanoke had to as well. The settlers could have been hungry enough to see cannibalism as a viable option. During the investigations into the disappearance of the settlers, local tribes mentioned that there were internal conflicts in Roanoke before everyone disappeared. The people could have resorted to cannibalism because they were hungry and killed themselves off. An outlandish theory, 
but definitely interesting to think about. I got uh, three more theories. Oh, goodness. Okay. So next up is disease. Oh. Disease is another theory that has much historical basis to it. The Roanoke colonists could have encountered a North American disease that they had no immunity to fight. The theory goes that the colonists could have caught a good old-fashioned plague that presented with symptoms of delirium, paranoia, or madness. Considering the reports from Native American tribes in the area of internal warfare in the Roanoke settlement before everyone disappeared, this seems possible. The healthy could have wanted to get rid of those who were sick because they were afraid of getting sick themselves. This easily could have escalated into a violent situation. Once the disease hit, the healthy population could have sectioned off into smaller groups and left the colony, leaving the sick to die. That certainly would explain the multiple sightings of Europeans in local populations in later years after the colony disappeared. The only problem with this, what happened to the bodies of the sick? Yeah. There are a lot of reasons that I am so thankful Mm. and so glad that I was born in 1995. Right. So, so many. Yeah. Especially when we talk about stuff like this. Because it allows us to do this podcast. Uh-huh. Yeah. It allows me to be very, th- th- very, very thankful for the things that I have and take for granted, such as food. Definitely. And vaccines. Next. Oh, and not cannibals. And not cannibals. <laughs> Goodbye. Another theory I have is witchcraft. Oh, my gosh. There are two theories involving witchcraft. Mm. The Croatoan either executed the colonists as witches or the colonists were the victims of witches who live in the North Carolina woods. If the Croatoans believed in witches and witchcraft, their definition of witches were people who used black magic to commit evil acts in everyday life. While there is no evidence that the Croatoan executed witches or that the Croatoan accused the people of Roanoke of witchcraft, They were known for condemning dangerous outsiders. They easily could have blamed the people of Roanoke for spreading diseases to which the Croatoan had no immunity. There is a story that the people of Roanoke became the victims of these witches when they left the island, and that is why they were never heard from again. I like that one. Yeah. And then finally, we have supernatural and religious (laughs) theories. Okay, I'm waiting for that alien.com to come up. Don't spoil it. (laughs) There have been many supernatural and religious explanations that incorporate Native American belief systems. Mm. There is no scientific basis for these theories, of course, but they are still taken very seriously by the Native American populations as explanations on what happened to the missing settlers of Roanoke. Sure. They mainly revolve around Native American spirits that help explain away not only the behavior of the colonists before they disappeared, but also why the colonists disappeared without a trace. Native Americans believe in a wild spirit in the form of a beast called a Wendigo. When people resort to eating human flesh, as in the case of cannibalism, their bodies are taken over by a Wendigo. If the people of Roanoke resorted to cannibalism, then according to this belief, they are still alive, roaming the woods of North Carolina in the form of Wendigos. How dare you? How dare you bring these two things together? Great. The Croatoan belief system includes a spirit on the island that had the power to absorb humans into the landscape. If the spirit was offended or angered, it would turn people into trees, animals, stones, or any other part of the land. Like annihilation. Yeah. 
If the colonists were exploiting, exploiting resources or abusing the land, it could have angered the spirit. This means that the people of Roanoke didn't disappear at all. They were just absorbed into the land. Oh! And if you remember back to that episode where I did X-Files or real life. <gasps> yes, 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 yes. That thing oh! was basically what this is talking about. Oh, my God. Yeah. I am covered <laughs> in gooseys. The Croatan also believe in the reptilian devil of the woods, an evil spirit that could attach itself to people. This spirit made people violent, greedy, and paranoid. Mm. The Croatan believed that the reptilian spirit had possessed the settlers once they started to turn on each other after White left for England to receive, retrieve more supplies. Okay. Another supernatural possibility is that it has been considered a zombie attack. Some believe an undead infection overtook the island and wiped off its inhabitants. Mm. This also leads to the cannibalism theory that states when food ran short, the colonists started eating each other. I see. Finally, wherever and whenever there are unsolved mysteries and bizarre stories, alien abduction always seems to make its way into theories. It sure does. Roanoke is no different. Many believe these colonists were taken by intergalactic beings. Fine. This could be the reason why not any remains were discovered. I like them all. <laughs> I I have no right to discount one over the other. You know? Fine. I, yeah. I'll take it. Um, and then finally, the lost colony of Roanoke has been referenced in books, plays, TV shows, and even comic books. Yeah. Like Supernatural, an American Horror Story. Yeah, which dude. I, I just added some pictures of uh, the two of those in there. Please in care. Sorry, go ahead. In Supernatural, Croatoan is actually a demon virus yes, thank that you. infects people yep. and makes them turn angry and attack each other. So yeah. uh, ties yeah. into a couple of these theories. Yeah. Um, an American Horror Story, Roanoke, is just about the people of Roanoke. Okay. Did you watch that season? I didn't. I didn't watch that either. With all of this said, it is still unknown exactly what happened to the Lost Colony of Roanoke. Well, there's that. So what do you think? I mean, I know that was a long, that was a long story. But again, with that kind of a story, you can't, you can't skimp. Yeah. I don't really know where I'd stand on that. I like some of these. Um, I don't know. It's hard. I, I, yeah. I want to believe that they just assimilated peacefully yeah and everything's good exactly but more likely yeah. is um probably witchcraft and aliens <laughs> um now really though like with jonestown they legitimately have resorted to cannibalism like yeah. that's a real thing yeah i don't want to say but it's definitely possible yeah that and disease yeah and and paranoia and fear it just and being attacked yeah yeah like those are all i feel like what actually maybe did happen yeah. but there's no proof of that yeah i don't know i think i kind of prefer it that way 
you know, I'm not a really big unsolved mystery kind of a person. I yeah. like clarity. Mm-hmm. But I think for the situation, I don't know. I'd kind of like to leave it up. Yeah. Leave it up to the imagination. Yeah. Definitely an interesting story. It was it's really fun to research because yeah. I didn't know a lot of it. So That's awesome. Yeah. You sure to go out with a bang. Oh, thanks. Aww, good job. That one was fun. That was wonderful. You Thanks. thoroughly made me upset and uncomfortable, <laughs> which is your job. So good Great. job. <laughs> good. Yeah. Oy. Well, that's it for uh, episode twenty-four, wow. our last one before our break. Okay. So. Good. Yeah. Okay. Well, you got a recommendation this week. I do actually. Oh, okay. Um, you will know that I started reading it recently, but Ready Player One. Dude is actually a really amazing book. The movie came out a couple of years ago, um, and it was really good too, but the book is really, really good, especially if you like nerdy geek culture and like pop culture from 80s and stuff like that. It's a really fun read, and I've really been enjoying it. Mm, That's wonderful. I'm excited. If you know me, as Justin does, I have a hard time committing to things. Mm -hmm. So... I'm going to say this. I would love to read that book in the future. Yeah. I think it'd be wonderful. It's really good. Yeah. That sounds great. Well, you're not going to be surprised. Yeah. My recommendation is uh, a really wonderful book that I'm reading as well. And it's called Lost Stars. Mm. Um, It is my first Star Wars book that I've ever read. Mm. And um, it's, I guess you could kind of refer to it as like a Romeo and Juliet kind of a story. You have sort of, it's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's just perfect in, in every kind of way, because it takes a world that I sort of grew up with. Not really. I mean, I got so much more into star Wars after, after you and I got together. Yeah. Um, but I really like the timeline. The characters are fascinating and if you've never thought of reading a Star Wars S book, I think that this would be a really good not challenge, but just something that I honestly think you might be really interested in. Yeah. I really love it. Nice. Yeah. Great. Aw. Well, um, before we go, of course, you can find us on Facebook, Anything Spooky Goes podcast. Uh, We post pictures from the show and any updates that we have on our show, which we will be posting when we are ready to come back. Yes. Shouldn't be too long, but we will for sure let you know on our Facebook page when we're going to be uploading new episodes. Yes. Um, Send us your stories. Yeah. Definitely. Any recommendations you guys have or any show ideas. Mm -hmm. Um, Anything spooky goes at gmail.com. Yes, please. Um, We really look forward to hearing from you. And finally, I just want to say thank you to everybody listening in United States, Australia, Ireland, France, Spain, Philippines, Canada, United Kingdom, Hong Kong, Costa Rica, Brazil, Germany, Israel, Tunisia, Finland, Netherlands, New Zealand, and Austria. Stop. Crazy. Y'all are wonderful. You are really great little spookables. And thank you so much. Yeah. I love it. That's wonderful. This has been so fun so far. So This has been so great. And we just appreciate it. We're just two weird people from Wisconsin. We like talking about this. And yeah. I can't thank you enough. 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh, also watch the movie Call Me by Your Name. Uh, really great too. I know you didn't want me to say it, but I'm going to. Fine. Do it. And we love you and uh stay spooky. Stay safe. Goodbye. Goodbye.